grace and mercy and peace. These are the good gifts that God gives to you and to me, not because of what we've done, but because of of Jesus. And this morning, we are thankful for them, dear brothers and sisters. Last week, we kicked off our, our sermon series, our worship series, called Thankful, right? All about not, not just being, having thanks or giving thanks one day a year or, or on occasion when things go really well, but it's about having this gratitude in our hearts day in, day out. And I, I hope, I pray that this past week you had an opportunity to, to put that into practice and that you continue doing so going forward because as Christians in particular, we always have reason to give thanks. Right? To be filled with thanks because our lives are filled with God's mercy. This morning, we're continuing that idea of full of thanks with another topic that really ties in with it, and it's contentment. Now, contentment in, in our world is a, a tricky thing, and in part because we struggle with what does it mean, Right? Modern American society has kind of given it this, this subtle shading that it's, you know, it's kind of enough, right? But really, and, and really, I think our, our first takeaway sums it up that in modern America, being content means what? It means I have enough. I have enough to make me happy. The reason that's dangerous Two reasons. One, happiness is a fleeting emotion. You've heard this before if you've been in, in worship with us before. We've talked about this, how, how happiness comes and goes so easily so, and so quickly. What makes us happy in one moment is gone in the next, and all of a sudden our happiness went with it. The bigger reason, the, the deeper reason, and, and what we're really going to focus on today why this is a dangerous definition of contentment is that because what's enough doesn't stay that way. So let me ask you, what's your number? Everybody's got one, right? I mean, if you've ever watched a mobster movie, you, you know everybody's got a number. What's yours? What number would have to be in your bank accounts, retirement accounts, savings accounts? What number would have to be at the end of your paycheck that you get every, every other week or every month? What would your annual salary have to be to be enough to make you happy? I want you to think about that for a few seconds, and I'll, I'll bet it doesn't take much more than that. Because if you're like Almost everybody else, you've dreamt about this, haven't you? Right? If I hit the lottery, ooh. We, we have this idea of what if, if only, if I had enough. So what's your number? And I want you to think about that, and then I want you to fill in the blank on the second takeaway. I promise you I won't make you share it, but I want you to, to think it through and write it down. The amount that would be enough for me is Did you aim high? Did you pad it a little? That's okay. Because I'm about to tell you why it's not enough. 
It's not enough in part because enough is a moving number, isn't it? What's enough today? Well, it's totally different than when you first got your job, your first job when you were 16. Then enough meant, right, maybe saving up to buy a car, uh, maybe having enough to go grab a pizza with some friends or go to a movie, maybe having enough to go take a girl out on a date. Enough was, was pretty simple, but today priorities, responsibilities are very different, and enough is far different, right? To have enough today, I need to, to be able to buy groceries and to pay for heat and electricity and water and rent or a mortgage and car payments and insurance and taxes and save up a little for the big purchases coming up and, and invest a little bit for retirement and, 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 and it just seems like there's never enough. But if there were enough, it'd be greatly, vastly different today than it was when you were 16. And I'm guessing that, that that number actually is going to change, right? That what's enough today may not be enough in 10 years or 20 years or 30 years. It's a moving target. And, and part of the reason why that's a, a bad definition, a, a difficult thing to do, is because enough is never enough. You get to the number, the amount, the thing that you think, that'll make me happy, and then what happens? Oh, but only if... Ooh, but if, oh, if only that. And it's never enough. See, here's the real secret sauce behind contentment. It's our third takeaway this morning, that contentment is not an amount. Contentment is a matter of my heart. You know this. You may not like it, and you may not always see it in yourself, but you know this. You've seen it in a, a friend, in a coworker, in a relative, in a neighbor, somebody who was, boy, they were longing for that promotion. They were longing for that project at work. They really, really, really wanted it. Almost obsessive. And they, oh, if I just get that, then I'll be happy. And they got it. They got the job. They got the promotion. They got the project. And they were great for about two weeks. And five months later, eh, I'm ready for something else. If only I had this. If only I was a part of that team. If only I could get this promotion. Because what they wanted wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't a matter of, of having a thing. It was a matter of their heart. Maybe you have a, a friend or maybe even a neighbor now who, who 10 years ago they would have said, oh, our dream house looks like this and the house they live in now is that house. Oh, that's awesome. But they've been there three years and they're already talking about moving up in house because it's just not what they want anymore. And what was the dream house 10 years ago no longer is fulfilling, no longer brings contentment. And it's not just your neighbors. It's not just your friends. You know this. We know this. I know this, right? This is a matter of our heart. Because I almost can guarantee you've said, or at least thought, I've really got my heart set on fill in the blank. Maybe it's a thing. 
Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a trip. Maybe it's a family. Maybe it's whatever it is. We've got our hearts set on this. And, and once your heart is set, what happens? It's really hard to find fulfillment, to find peace, to find happiness until you fill that longing. The struggle with contentment, though, it's not based on, on middle America or lower America or anything else. It's not based on income. It's not even based on when you live. This isn't a new struggle. In fact, people have struggled with this going all the way back to the very first people. Because think about the Garden of Eden. If you know that account, right, what happened? God made this perfect creation and he put two people in it and said all of this is yours and everything is perfect nothing doesn't work right nothing fails nothing is bad it's perfect and the devil came along and said but you could have better and adam and eve trusted him they believed that god was holding back on them and that they could have something better than perfect if they would just disobey God. If they would just sin. And ever since they did, well, people have been born with the idea that God is holding back. We've been born with the idea that if I only had blank, I would be happy. I would have peace. I would have joy. I would have fulfillment in life. That's been born into every human heart since Adam and Eve. There was a guy who identified this as a problem. And he wanted to, to figure this out. He wanted to not just identify it, but try to quantify it and find a solution to it. His name was Solomon. Maybe you've heard of him. He was the, the son of David, the greatest king in ancient Israel. And David reunited the kingdom, so Solomon took over for his father, the king, and became king at the peak of Israel's history. And one night early on in his rule, God came to Solomon and said, ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. Oh, ooh, that's a, that's a tempting offer, God, right? Solomon asked for wisdom. And he asked for wisdom so that he could rule, and he would rule God's people wisely and well, and God blessed him with wisdom and said, there's never going to be another human being like you. So Solomon, he used his great wisdom. He wanted to find the purpose and the meaning in life to find how can we be fulfilled and have joy and happiness. The thing is, Solomon didn't just have wisdom. Solomon wasn't just the wisest person who ever lived. He was probably also the wealthiest. If, if you read through the book of 1 Kings and you see the amount of, of food allotted for, to feed Solomon and his court, uh, the grain and the meal are measured in tons, like 20 tons. The number of ribeyes that are brought in every single day is crazy. And then you get people like the Queen of Sheba, right? No, no slouch in herself. She's a queen of a wealthy nation. And she came to visit, to visit Solomon. And look at what she found. And look at what she reported and is recorded in Scripture in 1 Kings 10. She said to Solomon, The report that I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. 
But I did not believe these things until I came and saw them with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. The Bible then, shortly after that, goes on to say, the weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents, which is 25 tons. Not including the revenues from merchants and traders and from all the Arabian kings and the governors of the territories, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom that God had put in his heart. And year after year, everyone who came brought a gift. Articles of silver and gold, robes, weapons and spices and horses and mules. Do you get the picture? Surely, certainly, positively, this has got to be enough, right? I mean, we've all got high numbers, but whew. I mean, this guy makes Powerball look measly. In fact, let's do a little quick math. Just break it down. So in today's world, this is how this would play out. Is this enough? An ounce of gold goes for just over 1200 bucks today. Fourteen hundred and forty four hundred fourteen thousand four hundred and forty three pounds or dollars per pound of gold. Well, there's two thousand pounds in a ton, which means it's twenty eight million, almost twenty nine million per ton. Times twenty five brings us to seven hundred and twenty two million, one hundred and sixty six thousand per year. This is net, not gross. And that doesn't include all the, other, all the other side deals and all the other tariffs and all the other payments he's got coming in. This guy is easily netting over a billion dollars a year. That's got to be enough, right? But here's the thing. Solomon was the wisest person in the world. He was the guy that all these people came to and brought extravagant gifts and wanted to, to hear him he was wealthy beyond our imagination. In fact, the Bible says that silver became like the stones on the ground in Jerusalem. That's how common, how common it was. But Solomon struggled with something you and I struggle with. He struggled with being content. He struggled with being happy and, and fulfilled in life. This guy who was the wisest person in the world, who had insane amounts of money, struggled with the same thing you and I struggle with. And, and he used his wisdom to try to wrap his brain around this and, and understand this, to share a really important truth that he learned with us. And it's a, a, a very simple, profound truth, and it's something that God the Holy Spirit then inspired him and, and had him write down for us to know. Solomon wrote this in Ecclesiastes. It's a book tucked away in the middle of the Old Testament. It's got a big, long name. Maybe you've read it. Maybe you've, you've seen it in there as you were flipping past Psalms and Proverbs before you got to Isaiah and Jeremiah. I guarantee you've almost certainly heard part of it because that whole song from the 60s, turn, 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 there's a season for everything, is direct quote from Ecclesiastes 3. Solomon, though, begins the book by saying, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. If you don't have contentment, 
go ahead and store up. Go ahead and gain and amass wealth. Literally, and the phrase he uses over and over and over throughout the book is this is a chasing after the wind. Because can you ever catch it? Nope. You can't ever reach out and catch the wind, right? It's, you're always chasing it. You're never getting there. And that's really the point that Solomon learned and wants to share. He talks about how he tried to, to find fulfillment, tried to find happiness and, and, and meaning in life by indulging in all of these things. And so he says, I went through and I tried, I tried learning. I'm, I'm wise, but I tried to get wiser and more knowledgeable. I, I undertook great capital building projects, figuring I could leave a legacy I amassed more wealth than anyone in the world before me. He tried wine. He tried every sinful indulgence, not abstaining from any kind of pleasureful thing at all. And you know what he found at the end of it? Meaningless. Meaningless. There was no contentment. There was no fulfillment. There was no, oh, now I've finally arrived. What he found is that there was no peace, there was no joy, there was, he couldn't get where he wanted to go because it was never enough. Because contentment isn't about an amount. It's a matter of the heart. And so towards the end of this search, Solomon came to an understanding, a realization that he shares with us, and it's our sermon text from this morning for, from Ecclesiastes chapter 5. He writes down, Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Some might think that that's, oh, that's just a simple life. And God says, that's not a simple life, that's a good life. He wants us to understand a couple of very simple things. First of all, everything that we have comes from God. We looked at this last week, but it's a good reminder. Every blessing we have is a gift from God. He says no matter what it is, everything in your life, your abilities, your talents, your job, your family, your friends, your possessions, they're gifts from God. And he's the one who gives them. And notice what else he gives. God gives the ability to enjoy them. To not just keep chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing and never, never enjoying. God gives you the ability to enjoy what he's blessed you with. To accept your lot and be happy in your toil, in your labors. To enjoy what you have. And to enjoy the, the job, the work that he's given you. To find satisfaction in that. Those are gifts from God. Do you know people that haven't, don't have that gift? They're never satisfied, are they? It doesn't matter what they have. It doesn't matter how much they keep chasing. They never get there. Because you can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't achieve it. It's a gift. It's a gift that God gives. And, and that's what Solomon wants you and he wants me to know. It's what God wants us to know. That your meaning and your purpose and your fulfillment in life is never going to come by earning it. By saving it. By amassing it. By, by learning it. By any other human achievement. It's never going to come from the number you wrote down in the paper. It's not even going to come if you have Solomon kind of money. 
the only way you find that fulfillment, the joy, the peace, is from God. See, the world wants you to think that if you just keep, if you aren't striving for the next thing, right? If you're not pushing constantly and trying to get more and bigger and better and happier and this and that, well, that you've settled. You've got enough, but it's just barely enough, right? And God says, first of all, I'm not saying don't, don't work hard. In fact, God wants us to, to use the gifts that he gives to us, to use, to use them for the benefit of our, our employer, for those around us, to serve and serve well, and to enjoy the, the blessings that come as a result. Promotions, right? Bonuses. He says, these are good things. I give you these gifts for you to use and to use well. But don't make your happiness and don't make your fulfillment and your purpose and your meaning in life based on them because you'll never find it there. If happiness comes from a paycheck, if, if joy comes from a promotion, you're never going to find it. What God wants us to know is, if you remember, contentment is a heart issue. And here's what God wants you to know about that. That being content does not mean that you have settled but that God has settled your heart. See, this means that it might not be the right job. It might not be my favorite job. It might not be the job I want to keep doing for a long time. Things might be pretty tight right now. The car's about to go, but we can still have peace, and we can still have joy, and we can still have life. Right? And not just, a, not just a chasing after something else and what's next and what's better. But we can have happiness because it's a gift from God that he gives to you and to me, a fulfillment that our heart is not just longing for more and more and more and more and more. But to give thanks and to rejoice and to appreciate what God has given us now and today. See, the reason that we struggle, or that, that we can be content, excuse me, is our last takeaway this morning. Our ultimate ability, our ultimate reason to be content is that God wasn't content without me, without you, forever. See, our discontent should mean that we have no business with God. In fact, if, think about that for a moment. If, if God is the, the giver of all good gifts, and if you just keep giving and giving and giving and people go, is that all you got? Come on, man, you're holding back. If that were me, pretty soon I'd be like, all right, I'm cutting you off. Now what are you going to do? But that's not what God does. And he doesn't just stop giving us gifts and he doesn't just pretend like our discontentment doesn't matter. Instead, what did he do? He left the eternal perfection of heaven where nothing is bad and nothing is wrong and everyone is eternally content in a glorious way, in a good way, not a settled way, but this, there is nothing better. And he said, I'm going to leave this. And I'm going to come to this place of, of rampant discontentment. And I'm going to take it all away. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be surrounded by people who constantly chip away at me and poke away at me and try to identify my weakness and try to find ways to bring me down so that they can become up. We're going to try to identify problems because they're not content. 
and I'm going to live perfectly in place of all of you. And then what did Jesus do? He went to the cross and he suffered, right? He wasn't content to let you or I face eternity in hell. Instead, he suffered God's wrath for us. And he wasn't content to let this life be enough. That when we get done breathing our last, that's it. No, he wanted you to be with him forever. And he wants you to know it. And so he rose from the grave and he lives because you too will live with him. And he wants you to know that and to be assured of it, that, that you can be content with what you have now because there is something so much better, something that we can't even imagine how great and glorious it is in the presence of God himself in heaven for eternity. I think of Psalm 23 and how the end of that psalm goes, right? It's a pretty familiar psalm. Maybe you've heard it at funerals before about, you know, how God guides me through this, this dark places of life. But do you know how he ends the psalm? You anoint my head with oil. And what does God do for our, our lives? My cup overflows with God's goodness and his riches and his blessings to me. Surely, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. There is a reason to be content. But even better, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, God wants to give you good things. And he does. All of your, your blessings, your family, your health, all of your abilities and your talents, your work, every good thing is a gift from God. And the ability to go, this is good, is a gift from God too. And there may be times where he doesn't give you everything you want, and that's not because he doesn't want good for you. It's because he knows best for you. And he wants you to keep focus not on just the good things he gives here and now, today and tomorrow, but to focus on the best. To not get caught up in the goodness and love that follow me the days of my life, but to keep longing for the love that I'm going to live in forever. See, dear child, God wants you to be content, to be full, to be fulfilled and thankful, because there's no need that He is left wanting, there's no need that He's left lacking. So, Trust him. Trust that he provides every good thing that you need in life. Go to him for things that you think I'm lacking and then trust that he's going to answer and provide in exactly the best way possible. Enjoy what he gives and give thanks for it. But don't settle your heart longing for things here and now today because he wants your heart longing for that time when you're going to spend with him forever. That's heaven. Amen.